0: It's Friday, March 25th. Happy Maryland Day. I'm John Lee, sitting in for Sarah Y. Kim. A Maryland judge has sent lawmakers back to the drawing board over a contested congressional map as partisan debate over how elections maps are drawn on the state and local levels remains fraught. With weeks left to go in this General Assembly session, Governor Hogan announces more state funding for crime-fighting initiatives and chides lawmakers to take action. And there's a plan afoot to infuse new economic life into an historically black community in Baltimore County using its Opportunity Zone status. It's the Daily Dose from WYPR, our latest reporting on Maryland's COVID 19 response and the local news of the day, made possible by GBMC Healthcare. Not much of a change in the number of Marylanders testing positive for COVID-19. The State Department of Health reports the positivity rate declined slightly to 1.45 percent. 177 people are hospitalized in the state with COVID-19. A Maryland judge has sent the General Assembly back to the drawing board to come up with a new congressional district map. WIPR's Joel McCord has
1: more. Judge Lynn Battaglia agreed with two groups of Republicans who had sued over the map. She called it an extreme gerrymander that violates Maryland's constitutional requirements to be compact and to respect the boundaries of political subdivisions. Delegate Kathy Jalega, a Republican who represents Baltimore and Harford counties and was a plaintiff in the suit, called the ruling a victory for every Marylander. On this 338th anniversary of Maryland's founding, this is a new start for our state. You know, it's a joyous Maryland day. Governor Larry Hogan, who has pushed his own redistricting map, called the ruling a monumental victory for every Marylander. A spokeswoman for Attorney General Brian Frosch, whose staff defended the map, said they are reviewing the decision. I'm Joel McCord, WYPR News. The
0: Baltimore County Council Thursday night ran a victory lap as it passed a redrawn map of its council districts that had been approved by a federal judge Thursday afternoon. The NAACP and ACLU, which sued the county over its council map, have not said whether they will appeal the judge's decision. Now, before passing the map unanimously, Democratic Councilman Tom Quirk said he felt vindicated, adding those who brought the suit didn't want compromise. And they wanted to draw the maps And they were not going to be happy with any other map unless it was theirs, period. The suit did force the council to redraw its original map. The judge struck down the first one, which had only one black majority district for the seven-member council, even though the county is about 30 percent black. The map the judge ruled in favor of Thursday has the black majority district as well as two minority majority districts. That means all minorities combined make up a majority of voters in each district. Attorneys for the plaintiffs say they're considering their next steps. Governor Larry Hogan on Thursday announced more state funding to combat violent crime and urged the General Assembly to use its final week's of session to take action on anti-crime legislation. WIPR's Callan Tansel-Suddeth has more. In an effort to curb violence in Maryland, he characterized as out of control, Governor Larry Hogan said the state will invest a total of $45 million in the Maryland's U.S. Attorney's Office, Baltimore Police, and Victim Service programs. All of these efforts will help free up more city officers to focus on violent crime. But Hogan said real change will only come when the General Assembly passes the Judicial Transparency Act and the Violent Firearms Offenders Act. No more excuses. No more delays. No more far-left woke politics. Pass these bills and get them to my desk so that they can be signed into law immediately. The 2022 legislative session ends on April 11th. For WYPR News, I'm Callan Tansel-Sutteth. Maryland is reporting improved jobless numbers. The state added 16,700 jobs in February, causing its unemployment rate to fall to 5%. Despite the improvement, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics says Maryland still has one of the highest rates in the country. The national unemployment average is 3.8 percent. For the first time in its 100-year history, a black woman is in charge of running Baltimore's Domino Sugar plant. Carica White has been named to the top spot at the plant as Domino plans to mark its centennial next month. White has been with Domino for nearly 20 years And one of her first tasks will be to oversee the replacement of a raw sugar shed that was destroyed by a fire last year. Lawyers for Republicans challenging the state legislative redistricting map adopted by the General Assembly in January closed their case Thursday. They called on a judge to declare seven districts unconstitutional and to throw out the entire map. Joel McCord reports lawyers defending the map argued the Republicans failed to prove their case.
1: Strider Dixon is the lawyer for Republican Delegates Kathy Jalega, who represents parts of Baltimore and Harford Counties, Nick Kipke of Van Arundel County, and Mark Fisher of Culvert County. In his closing argument, Dixon charged that many of the districts violate the constitutional requirement to be compact. He ticked off several districts he said were oddly shaped, including District 21. I guess I can kind of describe the shape of this one because it looks like a boomerang that straddles Anne Arundel and uh, Prince George's counties. Again, if you just look at it, common sense says this is not something that's compact. Dixon told retired Judge Alan Wilner, who was appointed to hear the case by the Court of Appeals, that district and others, including District 12, which takes in parts of Baltimore and Howard counties, scored poorly compared to state legislative districts nationally on several scales that measure compactness. Your Honor, you'll see that Of the 13,473 districts that have been drawn around the country over the past two decades, 13,378 have higher scores than District 12 on at least one of those metrics. And again, if compactness requirement means anything, District 12 is not compact. Assistant Attorney General Andre Trento, defending the maps, said many of the odd shapes can be attributed to Maryland's geography, with the Chesapeake Bay and its tributaries slicing through much of the state, and some of the districts that cross county lines can be attributed to requirements that districts have nearly the same population. For example, he pointed to St. Mary's County in southern Maryland, which doesn't have a large enough population to be its own district, noting that the boundaries of the newly drawn district are similar to those in previous redistricting maps. So District
0: 29 in St. Mary's County needs to cross a boundary somewhere to grab that population that it needs from somewhere else, somewhere outside of St. Mary's County. And just as it did in 2012 and in 2002, District 29C extends into the southern tip of the Calvert County Peninsula across the
1: Patuxent. Judge Wilner said at the end of Thursday's session that he would make a recommendation to the Court of Appeals within two weeks, after which the court would rule. It could toss out the map and order the General Assembly to draft a new one, or substitute one crafted by a commission appointed by Governor Larry Hogan, but it needs to move quickly. The State Board of Elections needs the boundaries to prepare ballots and find polling places, and potential candidates need to know what district they're running in. The court already has moved the primary election date from June 28th to July 19th to allow time for the redistricting challenges to be resolved. Alan a history professor at American University who specializes in quantitative methods, argued that despite the odd shapes of some districts, there was no partisan gerrymandering. With Maryland's heavily Democratic voter registration, he said, it would stand to reason that most of the legislative districts would favor Democrats. I'm Joel McCord, WYPR News.
0: Turner Station, an historically black neighborhood south of Dundalk in Baltimore County, has for years seen jobs vanish and residents move away. The community is hoping legislation being introduced by Democratic Congressman Dutch Ruppersberger will help reverse its economic decline. A Turner Station qualifies as an economically depressed opportunity zone, which means businesses that locate there and create jobs can get tax incentives. Next door to Turner Station is a mega job creator, TradePoint Atlantic, the global shipping center being developed on the site once home to Bethlehem Steel. Olivia Lomax has lived in Turner Station her whole life, and she says her son, two grandsons, and a granddaughter work at TradePoint.
1: And I'm always telling people, Go down to Trade Point, Atlantic. They have jobs there. They have good jobs. You get good benefits. Check check it out.
0: Trade Point cannot qualify as an opportunity zone because it's an industrial site. No one lives there. Congressman Ruppersberger's legislation would change that by letting Trade Point piggyback on Turner Station's opportunity zone status. It's called the Rust to Revitalization
1: Act. I think that's a good name. For, for this project.
0: Under Ruppersberger's legislation, a site with no population would qualify as an opportunity zone if it had been used previously for industry and had been contaminated. The site at Sparrows Point was polluted by decades of steelmaking.
1: They must also be adjacent on at least one side to, be, to a populated census tract. This already an opportunity zone.
0: And that's where Turner Station comes in. When Bethlehem Steel declined, then closed, 30,000 jobs went with it, and that hit Turner Station hard. Lamax's father worked there.
1: When the mills started closing, it was a hard time for everybody. It really was.
0: Since 2014, TradePoint Atlantic has been cleaning up and developing the 3,300-acre site, which has access to I-695, the Chesapeake Bay, and two rail lines. Around 12,000 people work there now. Various businesses, including FedEx, Amazon, Volkswagen, and BMW, are there. And just last week, United Safety Technology announced it will bring around 2,000 jobs to TradePoint, where it plans to make medical exam gloves. But hundreds of acres remain undeveloped. TradePoint Executive Vice President Aaron Tomarchio says it will take more than $1 billion in investment to finish the job. Making it an opportunity zone will help make that happen. Uh, When businesses are looking at locating in different states or in different jurisdictions, uh, they look at the incentives that are on the table. This is an additional incentive that can be brought to bear to make this site more attractive for investment. Opportunity zone incentives include allowing businesses to take advantage of tax deferments. Tamarchio says industrial growth at Sparrows Point will help nearby neighborhoods like Turner Station flourish we will use the marketing presence and might of trade point atlantic to make sure that investors know about the opportunities in turner station so that we can attract investments into the turner station community michael thompson a community leader in turner station says the neighborhood would benefit
1: and for us it means jobs and jobs mean money money means future and the investment in that community over there that means homeowners housing Re- more recreation, better education, and by all, opportunity.
0: Olivia Lomax has high hopes for what this will mean for her community.
1: The community will grow. Those empty houses will be filled up and children will be running around playing. It's a great community. And this is just the beginning.
0: Rupersberger says his legislation would apply nationally. He says there are as many as 100 sites in the country that could qualify if his legislation becomes law. We cover the news of the day here on The Daily Dose, but it's also a platform for listeners like you. Got a thought or story you want to share about life in the era of coronavirus? Well, leave us a voicemail to play on an upcoming episode. The number is 410-235-6060. We've also got a button on the WIPR app so you can record a voice memo that way too. Just tap Daily Dose Comments on the app or you can give us a call. The number again, 410 235 6060 We're always happy to hear from you and we'll be here for you again on Monday The Daily Dose is brought to you by WYPR, made possible by GVMC Healthcare Big thanks to my news team colleagues Rachel Bay, Sarah Y. Kim, Joel McCord, and Callan Tansel-Suddeth Our general manager is LaFontaine Oliver. The executive editor of The Daily Dose is Daniel Irby Stay healthy, stay sane and stand together I'm John Lee, thanks for listening